Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. Uh, welcome back. We got an awesome show this evening. We're actually going to kind of do a uh, second run of what we did before. We, we touched on the Odd Fellows in a previous episode, and this episode we have two gents with us, one who is also a Freemason and one who uh, belongs purely to the Knights of Pythias. We're going to be looking more deeply into that organization and then kind of cross-comparing uh, between them and the Freemasons. So as always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Past Master Gardner Lodge, Director of Kansas Lodge Research and DDGM for 9A. And I'm going to shoot it over to our co-host, Brother Robert Marshall. You go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, folks. Uh, Robert Marshall here, Past Master Secretary of Waco Lodge, Deputy Director of Kansas Lodge of Research, District Deputy Grandmaster at Large of the Grand Lodge of Texas, and a member of the Grand Lodge of Texas History Committee. And uh, excited to learn more about the Pythias here tonight. That has long been on my list of things to do, and I'm excited to do it tonight. Indeed. And then we have two special guests with us this evening, uh, Brother Casey and Brother Dylan. Uh, Brother Casey, since you're on my left part of the screen, I'll go with you first, if you don't mind. Uh, if you go ahead and up there, introduce yourself. My name is Casey Pemberton. I'm current Worshipful Master of California Lodge Number 183 in California, Missouri. And I am the Chancellor Commander of Sicilian Lodge Number 39 out of Independence, Missouri for the Knights of Pythias, as well as involved in the York Rite within Masonry and the Shrine. Fantastic. And uh, Dylan, I'll shoot over to you. Uh, hello, my name is Dylan Callahan. I'm a prelate in the Knights of Pythias in my local lodge, Sicilian, same as Casey. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Very excited. My first podcast. Wonderful. Well, we're glad to have you on. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to have this conversation with us. I'm really looking forward to seeing what those differences and what the are and uh, kind of how they tie together. So, uh, Brother Casey, since uh, you're a Freemason, I'm going to hit you with these questions first. We usually start off the show with, you know, two prompting questions everyone's used to. Uh, one of those being, uh, do you have family history in Freemasonry? I do. I have a decent amount of family history in Freemasonry that actually only ended with my grandfather's generation. Um, before him, we found about five, six generations that have been involved in Masonry. Um, almost since the beginning of Masonry in Missouri. Nice. And then, so what is it for you uh, that prompted you to actually jump into joining Freemasonry? Was it that family history or was it something else? Uh, the family history played a huge part in it. Uh, having heard stories growing up of who my great-grandpa was and the kind of man he was kind of inspired me to want to be like him. So I looked at the things that he did and Masonry was one of the big differences between him and the rest of my family. And so that kind of prompted me to want to just see what it was all about. Very cool. So now, obviously, since this is kind of a different topic of the show, I'm also going to ask, what is it that uh, made you join uh, the Knights of Pythias? And do you have any relations on that side? Uh, yep. Yeah, my, not my great-grandfather, but my great-great and his father, both were Pythians um, out of, I think it was out of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, did some family history research and found that. And then just kind of 
after having been a Mason for a while and having been curious about the Oddfellows but not being able to find any of them around me, I kind of got interested to look into a different fraternity and decided with the family history, decided to look into the Pythians. Very cool. Well, Dylan, we're going to move on to you. Uh, do you happen to have any family history or relations to Freemasonry? Uh, certainly none to Freemasonry and none to the Knights of Pythias that I know of. Um, my, okay. I, my family, I think they were all, uh, if, you'll get, if you get my meaning, they were all very good Catholics. And, you know, at the time, you know, way back in the day, it was definitely frowned upon back then. But For sure, for sure. Right, no family connections to either side. So what is it that got you really drawn in to actually join the? Um, it was Casey and our mutual friend, Jordan. Uh, I've known those guys for literally years. And um, be, even though they're from Missouri, you know, we're, we're still good friends, Kansans and Missouris. Um, <laughs> But they invited me. They invited me to join the Knights of Pythias, and I had never heard of it before. Of course, I've heard of the Freemasons, and I knew a little bit about the Odd Fellows. Um, but I jumped in with both feet. Um, really didn't know what I was getting into, honestly, and haven't regretted a moment of it since. Fantastic. So, I, I'm I'm curious. I've got a question here. Uh, so absolutely uh, dead on, and I I would think or hope maybe most of our listeners. Are, are familiar enough with Masonic history to know and understand the reference you make when you say that good Catholics would not have had anything to do with Freemasonry. Uh, is that is there any uh, what would that look like for potential Pythians? Is did that ever did Knights of Pythias ever fall on the right or wrong side of we, uh, the Catholic faith? The very same papal ban that mentions Freemasons by name also mentions the Pythians. Huh, okay, thank you. Uh, Yep, it mentions Freemasons, Oddfellows, and then Pythians. Okay. So, Brother Robert, uh, do you happen to have any connection to the Pythians or any uh, previous knowledge of them before this? If I've got a, a family connection or anything like that, I've not come across it before. Uh, uh, I guess the only connection I could think of would be uh, that Our Lodge and the Pythias Hall uh, in Waco were very closely linked in the 1800s, our Masonic Lodge in the Pythias Hall. And okay. uh, uh, otherwise, uh, I don't know how many times somebody has tried to give me or sell me a sword uh, telling me it was Masonic only for me to tell them, no, no, that's, that's a Pythian sword, which is cool, and I'll take it, but uh, that's got to be one of the biggest misconceptions and common misconceptions in Masonry today. And uh, I'm going to have to step away for a second, but I'll be right back. So you guys, uh, do your thing and I'll be right back. Not a problem. Well, yeah, I'm kind of on the same trail here as Robert. I, I've got no connection. So I, I'm really, uh, well, none that I know of at least. So I'm really jumping in this feet first and really excited to find any, uh, you know, the similarities and learn a little more. Uh, the one thing I think I wouldn't call it a direct connection, but one of the lodges that merged with Gardner Lodge uh, out of Well, um, I want to say in their history, I know they shared they shared a space with another fraternal order. I want to say it was the Pythians, but I can't one hundred percent guarantee that. So, not not for sure, but I know there's a lot of links there. So, 
if you don't mind, I think we'll go ahead and shoot it over. Uh, and we'll start, you know, hearing about your guys' side of uh, the Knights of Pythias. And then we'll work through some of the similarities and, you know, come up with some questions during that. All right. Sounds good. Robert brought up the swords, and both Dylan and I just happen to have Pythian swords. Nice. You have to have Templar swords, so. Uh, I don't, I'm on my phone, so I'm not sure how great I can do with the uh, showing. Starting with the Templar swords, though, you know, a lot of nice, this is an older one, so it has a lot of nice intricate artwork. And around the same time, I believe, is when this Pythian sword is from. We don't actually have many of these that I know of today. Uh, but some of the notable differences is it's got the actual logo on it and KP and the FCB and then another KP on here, as well as having uh, Knights of Pythias acid engraved on the blade. So. Those are some pretty cool pieces you've got there. And I believe Dylan has a uniform. I think uh, my sword is a little bit different from his. If he wants to show that off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my. Uniform is UR, stands for uniform rank. A lot of similarities. Sword, whereas this one has just a few differences on. Let's see if I've got the right side. You won't be able to see it on here, but um, this had actually engraved on it the owner's name. So it wouldn't just be Knights of Pythias, it actually shows. And this is an older sword, uh, so it's really difficult to make out the name. I wouldn't even attempt it because it's hard to see in person, but. Um, uh, uh, it has the actual recipient's name, and this would be, uh, this could be given to him by his division within the uniform rank at his lodge, or it could be uh, a gift from his family, friends, what have you. Very cool. So for uh, those tuning in, you know, largely uh, we talk about Masonic history, so a lot of people aren't going to really know uh, the gist behind the Pythians. Uh, could you hit us with, uh, you know, a, a history of kind of where they came from, where they started, and what they were all about. So, uh, I don't know, Dylan, if Dylan wants to start off, he can or I can, doesn't matter either way. You, you can go ahead, Casey. So, uh, we have a, the brief history of the Knights of Pythias that we give every candidate once they're initiated. I, uh, I enjoy their introduction to explain where Pythianism came from. In the studying of the history of fraternal societies, we find many of the claims of ancient existence of various orders are based upon the existence of the principles and the discovery of certain signs and symbols, rather than the actual incorporation of those principles into a working lodge. While the Knights of Pythias is generally known and regarded as a young North American order, it is not only reticent of the ennobling spirit of chivalry, the best sentiment of the past, but it goes beyond the Middle Ages for its sanction and its ordination. It emanates from 
and is the revival of many features of the Pythagorean Brotherhood, which flourished in Southern Europe more than 500 years before the birth of Christ. Reviewing the history of the order chronologically, we therefore find three epochs for consideration, the Pythagorean, the Bainan, and the Rathbone. Oh boy, this is starting to look like a, a fun Pandora's box. Uh, so uh, Freemasonry certainly has Pythagorean origins, symbolism, and significance. Uh, could you, and I don't know, for, you know, obviously with us, some things are secret, some things aren't, and all that kind of stuff, but uh, for Pythians, uh, do you see queer evidence of Pythagoreanism in Knights of Pythias when you go into a meeting today? Um, when you go into actual ritual, I would say I see many of the same elements of Pythagoreanism that I see in Freemasonry and Pythianism. Okay. Um, obvious, some of the ideas behind uh, Pythianism, I would say probably influenced the uh, play that created the Knights of Pythias, uh, that of Damon and Pythias. So there is that influence there. I don't know, uh, Dylan. Yeah, I think I think most of the influence, and I think most of the reason why um, you know P Pythagoras has the role that he does within uh, the Knights of Pythias is definitely with the origin story with Damon and Pythias themselves. They um, they were said to be members of the Pythagorean order at the time. Um, and I think it's, it's another interesting thing about that is that the story is entirely true. The story it's based on is entirely true where you have um, Damon and or Pythias. The, the funny thing is that the history, which is contemporary, uh, sometimes gets confused who was, who was the one in peril and who was the one uh, coming to the rescue, so to speak. Um, but the story itself is confirmed to be true with contemporary uh, historians recording it, and it was generally stated that they were members of the Pythagorean order. So I think that's why we feature him so much. I think that's why you're seeing, you know, straight out of the gate, we're starting with the Pythagorean era. It's, it's just, you know, that's the culture in which our principles were uh, first uh, fostered. Very cool. So with, with the guy, oh, I'm sorry, with the lodges that you guys utilize, visually, how does that set up? Like in, in the last episode, we did kind of compare it to this, we did with Oddfellows, and it, it was really intriguing to see how close the lodge setup was. Is the uh, Knights of Pythesius uh, Lodge anything near a Masonic Lodge, or what would you expect to see uh, on the I would say so. We don't need the one huge difference with the Masonic Lodge and the Pythian Lodge, in my looking at it, is uh, the, Pith the Masons. We use directions, the cardinal directions, for okay. where people sit. Um, in the Pythian Lodge, it's not based on the cardinal directions so much as it is based on the executive chair of the lodge, where the chancellor commander sits. Everything is then based off of where that is. Okay. So uh, 
whereas you have Masonic Lodge that's they generally try to base it east and west. Uh, you can have a Pythian Lodge kind of situated, however, based on where they put the executive chair. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the comparison between Freemasonry and the Knights of Pythias, what would the uh, ranks be as far as like we see lodge officers in Masonry? What would the comparison be on that side? So uh, starting, I'll starting from the top and working down. Sure. Uh, Chancellor Commander would be the equivalent to Worshipful Master. Um, Vice Chancellor would be the equivalent to the Senior Warden. Okay. And kind of the Junior Warden, that one gets a little weird. There isn't a direct equivalent to the Junior Warden um, because the Prelate, which is what Dylan is, that is the Chaplain. Um, but also fulfills the same duty of if the other two aren't present, then he takes over the meeting. Um, then you have the Master at Arms, which is essentially the Senior Deacon. Uh, master of the Works is essentially the, he arranges, he also doesn't have a direct comparison, he just arranges for when uh, Ritual work should happen, and for ensuring that everyone is present and also um, is kind of the prompter. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm lost now. And then you have an inner and outer guard who are similar to the junior deacon and Tyler and their duties. Sure. Now, in the... Uh... In the ritual, I, is it as secret as Freemasonry? Like, is there stuff you guys just can't touch on? I, I don't want to, you know, overstep any boundaries in questioning. Yeah, there are. We can, um, Dylan and I both, I'm sure, can mention if anything violates the obligations. Sure. But there are some things that are secret, like obligations, et cetera. Right. So I guess my big question in the two uh, ritualistic works, you know, on, on the Masonic side, we kind of have the Hiramic legend. Um, what, what would the background be between or behind the, uh, the ritualistic work that you guys would use on that side? Is there kind of a, a moral compass behind it that would sum it up? Yeah. For sure. The story of Damon and Pythias itself uh, that's the genesis of the whole thing. Um, the founder of the order, Justice Henry Rathbone, in 1864, we're in the middle of a civil war, right? Uh, very famous play by John Bannum, an Irish playwright, uh, Damon and Pythias, based on the true story we've already talked about a little bit. Um, but the basic story is, is that uh, Damon is a senator uh, in Sicily. And he is facing off against the tyrant king, uh, Di uh, Dionysius. So uh, at some point, uh, the history is a little bit muddled as to exactly why uh, Damon had caught the ire of Dionysius. Uh, I think the play states that he tried to assassinate him for his, uh, for his tyrannies. Uh, regardless, Damon is captured and immediately sentenced to death. Uh, Pythias, who is a soldier and uh, a very close friend of Damon, 
steps forward and says, Damon has a, a wife and child and he needs to go tell them goodbye. And so you need to give him some time to go say his goodbyes. And in the meantime, I'll stay in his stead so that he can arrange his, his affairs and get everything in order. And then ultimately, you know, come back to be executed. And it's, it was as strange then as it sound, sounds now. First of all, who in their right mind would actually put themselves on the line like that for anyone? You know, you'd have to be a very great friend. And secondly, who in the right mind would actually come back, you know, willingly to be slaughtered, you know? So as strange as it sounds now, it sounded just as strange then. And the story goes that uh, Dionysius is so taken by the odd nature of it that he, he just says, yes, let's go for that. So um, Pythias is put in Damon's chains and Damon goes to say his goodbyes. Uh, in a nutshell, um, Damon's wife, Pythias's wife, they both want them to, uh, Pythias's wife to be actually his fiance. You can escape, we can get you out of here, there's a way. Uh, Dionysius himself tries to influence Pythias to try to escape just to prove that, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, rabble rousers anyway and they don't keep their word. Uh, Pythias ultimately refuses the very idea of escaping. He's going to stay true to his word and true to his friend. Uh, on the other side, Damien, uh, Damon is at home, uh, his wife telling him, please don't go back, you know, this is insane, you know, Pythias is, is a good friend, but at the same time, I'm your wife and child, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, his servant actually slays his horse before he could get back. So uh, Damon is absolutely panicking, trying to get back in time uh, before sunset when uh, the execution is to take place. So. The hour arrives, sunset's coming. Uh, Pythias is, is asking, you know, do you regret your choice at this point? Uh, and he says, not for a second, no. Uh, Damon, of course, Damon comes back. He has stolen somebody else's horse in order to get there by hook or by crook, he made it back. Um, at this point, uh, this is something that not every retelling of the story um, points to, but it is included in the uh, play by John Bannum uh, and by, that was made popular also by Justice Rathbone. Uh, and that is that Pythias at that point pleads that because the sun is already setting, uh, Damon didn't make it back in time and Pythias, I, I myself should take the punishment still, even though Damon's back, I should still take the punishment, hoping that he can still save the life of his friend. And the crowd, of course, is going insane over this. They're saying they should both live. This is amazing. You know, what kind of, what kind of monsters would we be to kill uh, virtue like this? Uh, Dionysius, and a real quick point on the term tyrant king. It's explained in our literature how he came to power. And that is uh, a tyrant at the time would uh, get the the masses to support them to overthrow the landed gentry and the nobility, so to speak, and then divide up everything equally, whether it belongs to you or not, that kind of thing. So it was, it was a sort of a democratic tyranny uh, that Dionysius was writing on. So when the crowd, you know, is so inspired by this public act of virtue, uh, Dionysius is himself taken, but also politically taken by what's going on. So he says, yes, I will, I will set you both free. We don't want to kill off this kind of virtue. We need this in our country. 
and he asks, um, you know, you two are such good friends. Can I join this brotherhood, this friendship? And Damon asks him, would you do what Pythias or I did for one of us? Would you lay your life down for your friend? And he thinks for a moment and says, no, I don't think I could. He's a king. You know, he, he has political ambition still. He's, he's not even an old man. He's, I believe uh, one of the historians puts him at about the age of 40 years old. He, he still had a lot of life to live and he, he didn't want to give that up for a friend. So they said, no, you cannot join our brotherhood. You cannot join our friendship. And that's more or less where the story and the play leave off. Um, how that affects our, not just the order in general, but even our subordinate lodge ritual or our grand or supreme lodge rituals. Um, I think there are a lot of reminders. I think that um, our symbols themselves, uh, perhaps not the nitty gritty details of, you know, how one stands, how one sits, that sort of thing, but for sure, in each and every uh, ritual meeting, there are small and sometimes not so small reminders of why we're here, what our order stands for, and what those basic tenets are. So uh, I, I enjoy hearing the retelling of, of this, this story. Uh, uh, I first came across it in college uh, when we were reading Pseudo Dionysius, which is a completely unrelated source, but because of the name, it ended up landing on my radar. And I'm curious and, and have been, do Knights of Pythias have watch parties of the movie The Delicate Delinquent? Was that <laughs> even on the radar? Oh, okay. Uh, there we go. This looks good. I see smiles. So um, uh, for, for Masons that are listening out there, The Delicate Delinquent is, would be as if uh, Laurel and Hardy had come out with a movie about two characters named Hiram and Solomon that loosely followed our own Hiramic legend. Uh, and I guess in this case, it was supposed to be Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, although it, it changed in production. Uh, so do y'all do y'all have watch parties? Um, not exactly watch parties, but our grand secretary pretty well sends out an email anytime it's going to be on television. Uh, I love it. I, either that or if uh, any retelling of Damon and Pythias is going to be on, he, uh, he'll send out an email about it. And so that's a lighthearted question and thank you for the response. It's really cool to hear that. I, I hate to say it, but I, I actually don't think Masons are as good as at, at sharing and staying up to date, making announcements about when something in the media with references to masonry is going to be uh, shown, we probably should be because it, it, it is interesting. Uh, from that lighthearted reference, uh, just to, so you know, I wasn't being completely random. <laughs> to me, growing up, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were representatives of friendship, like fellowship, and 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 maybe the like the one of the best archetypes of what it could be to be American men and close friends and having fun and. Uh, from the sound of it, that's really at the core of the, the Pythian legend uh, and, and the initiatic experiences. Uh, you mentioned during your telling of it, uh, you know, what kind of person would do that for someone? And, and I guess the lesson is a true friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Cool. 
So I do have a kind of a question in structure, you know, to compare the two back and forth. I heard you mention both a grand and a supreme lodge. Uh, so, so how does that structure work out? It's it's something that I have heard because I'm not I'm not familiar uh, with, as I said, I'm not a, a mason, so I'm not familiar with exactly how that structure works out. But I do know that there is a major difference, and it does play a very strong role uh, in our ritual, uh, the chain of command there. So you have the subordinate lodge, um, and then you have the grand lodge. Now, in my case, being in Kansas. We do not currently have a Grand Lodge, so we're under the jurisdiction of Missouri. I think Missouri has jurisdiction over, of course, Missouri, Nebraska, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. So any support lodges there will be um, under their domain. Go ahead, Case. Um, I don't know how many we have domain of. I know now we're called the Grand Domain of the states of Missouri and Kansas. Okay. Um, so... But yeah, so the way it generally works is you'll have your subordinate lodge and they answer directly to the Grand Lodge, just like in masonry. Um, and that Grand you know, Lodge is like a state level typically and yeah. then is maybe national, is that what it is? Um, Supreme is international. Oh, okay. So uh, Supreme is over America. I don't know what other country, I know we're in England, and I believe we have a couple lodges in France. I'm not sure what, I think we're all over North America. I'm not certain about that, though. Yeah, we, we do have uh, many lodges in Canada, and at least one, possibly more, in Mexico. Where at in Mexico? Do not know. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's okay. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> So Dylan, I, I may have missed it. What part of Kansas are you in? Um, Emporia, which is about an hour from Gardner. Right on. Yeah, been there a few times. Very cool. Your neighbors. Practically, I have, my brother lives in Gardner. Nice. Well, next time you're out, we got to hook up. Absolutely. Well, so, as far as I know, Alex isn't busy enough, so maybe we can get him uh, pursuing membership <laughs> in the Pythias there in Emporia. Right. Hey, he could, uh, he could help restart the Kansas Pythianism. We, we are doing that. That is something that uh, I, I work on it at least a few minutes every day. We're getting a major upswing in membership in the Emporia area, also Topeka and Lawrence. We're getting some people with, with interest. So hey, I've got, I know right. Lawrence. I've got family there. there uh, go. Closer to me, that Lawrence is only, what, 30, 20 minutes away? Probably yeah. 30. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Thanks to Texas, Robert. <laughs> we've we've got a new guy came up from uh, Texas, Scott Mead, uh, transferred to our lodge. He's also an Odd Fellow, oddly enough. And uh, man, he is pushing for us to launch some Odd Fellow lodges up here. So <laughs> we're just gonna be starting all kinds of stuff. Right. <laughs> Fraternalism is back. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We we can all share lodges and get along peacefully. Hey, we could save some money that way at least. So for for the mates in the group, I'm, I'm kind of in, intrigued with the uh, the Supreme, uh, I, I want to call it Supreme Grand Lodge, but the Supreme Lodge structure, you know, I, I, I kind of see a parallel in masonry, even though we don't have it, uh, with the, you know, our, 
Yeah, the Grand Lodge of England, right? You know, even though they're not considered our Supreme Grand Lodge, it's all behind the, uh, the recognition factor. Uh, so, you know, they, they kind of get that final say, you know, if they say somebody wants to rough feathers. So you could almost say that they do like a Supreme Grand Lodge in a, in a way, but do you guys think that that would uh, have any benefit in, in the masonry operates today to have I, an official level of that body? Could I get a, a quick side note before they answer? This is my yeah. obligatory uh, Republic of Texas uh, disclaimer that I in no way believe that the Grand Lodge of England is the Supreme Grand Lodge of the Masonic Grand Lodge of Texas. Uh, if, if you have Texas guys believing that I think that I, I could probably uh, disappear. So uh, <laughs> that is not how I see it, but let's hear that answer. Uh, I'll, I'll give a Missouri answer that the UGLE also is not over Missouri. <laughs> and, uh, but so the one place I could see the benefit, um, I don't know a whole lot about the story. I've only heard it mentioned a few times, but in at least one of the world wars, uh, because we had that national body, and it was actually partly helped uh, an idea kind of of the getting the Grand Masters of America together, I believe. Because when since uh, the Knights of Pythias had that national body, we were able to send fighting forces, not just like fighting Pythian militias, not just supplies, to aid in the war effort. Um, masonry not ha having read a few books from masonry in the time not having the same united national body wasn't able to do that because the u.s government couldn't listen to 50 grand lodges over here debating about who to send what whereas with pythians they were able to listen to one supreme body that said well we'll send these people that's interesting right and to clarify, I didn't mean they were over us, but with the with the uh, factor of oh, what's the dang word I'm looking for? Uh, recognition, right? It, it seems yeah. like most Grand Lodges kind of turn their head back to well, who's the UGLE recognized? It's kind of always the the low lying factor. There that was my point behind it. So, so the reason that's gonna... controversial in Texas is going to lead to, I think, an interesting question here with Pythias. And the reason I'd say it's controversial in Texas is because the Grand Lodge of England has relatively recently offered a limited amount of recognition of women Masons. And uh, in Texas, mm -hmm. that causes a furor. I mean, you want to get guys excited in positive and bad ways. That, that's something to bring up. Uh, so, uh, with, with that point, uh, are women Knights of Pythias? Have there ever been any of those cases, like in Masonry, where supposedly a woman eavesdropped, she heard too much, so they had to initiate her type of situations, or? We have the Pythian Sisters, uh, is, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's, 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 a, that's, that, I thought that was a perfect response, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have the Pythian Sisters, which is. I have limited knowledge of that. Um, not married yet, so don't have any. My, I don't have anyone in the Pythian Sisters. Not even certain that we have Pythian Sisters in Missouri. Um, but the Pythian Sisters is essentially the Eastern Star uh, to the Knights of Pythias. Also, I 
would say the, uh, I was going to mention with the UGLE, uh, to me it reminds me of the UGLE and how they have provincial Grand Lodges, yeah. but they have the UGLE over the provincial Grand Lodges. Sure. I, I think that might have been the comparison Alex was originally trying to make, uh, and I just uh, rudely twisted what he was saying into something worse, but uh, so from, from women, knights or masons to a different uh, sometimes hot topic. Uh, when I uh, looked into some old books about Pythias, something that was popping up was colored knights. Yes. Uh, is, is that what mm -hmm. I, I would assume it is? And yep. uh, uh, so in, in Freemasonry, recognition between Prince Hall, Grand Lodges, and mainstream or state Grand Lodges, or it's such a tricky thing to come up with a term for. Uh, is a very interesting development and discussion since the 1890s when that recognition began for some jurisdiction and on to the present day when it's still developing and others. Uh, is Would you say there's a close parallel there for Knights of Pythias? Have you guys had recognition, intervisitation, that kind of um, stuff? To my knowledge, the groups essentially merged, I believe. Already. Well, uh, Dylan has more knowledge of this maybe than I do. Uh oh. Uh, Dylan, I don't know if you. There can were two hear. such splits in the past. Uh, uh, yeah. Am I? Yeah, you're coming through choppy. Yeah, we're getting little bits here and there. Hello. So if I'm still coming through. Are we good? Yeah, we're gonna have to let Dylan's uh, connection come back there, but you're you're up and running, Casey. So, uh, from the sounds of it, we didn't merge. I'm not certain. I know that uh, unless a group is under the authority of the Supreme Lodge, they wouldn't be recognized by a Grand Domain or Grand Lodge. So does sure. that? Th I take that to infer that. Colored Knights of Pythias lodges were originally recognized by the Supreme. Uh, I, oh, I don't okay. have, yeah, yeah, I don't have a lot of knowledge on okay. recognition. Um, I know it's kind of the same boat as masonry is today, where we no longer have the segregation issues, but I don't know how we were during that time. And once Dylan's connection gets back, he might know more. Has my connection cleared up? You sound good. Yeah. Sounds better to me. Uh, okay, <laughs> very, very good. Uh, um, there. Uh, we're, st we're still in your mantle. It seems like the only words that come through. Another one <laughs> was with African-American. Well, that's terrible. Um, the German-speaking Knights of Pythias were uh, changing up the ritual a bit when we did allow their German ritual to stand and it was in line with the Supreme Lodge. They started changing up some things a little bit. And so at one point they were told, no more of that. We're going to cut you off there and you have to comply with us or leave. And they did leave, but then came back. I think that's what Casey's referencing. With the African-American split, um, I, th I think the history of that is a bit muddled. And that's probably why Casey uh, and 
probably a lot of other people are confused on it. It's one of those things where there, there's room for interpretation as to what happened. My personal understanding is that there was a lodge that wanted to be incorporated as a black lodge and that was not allowed. I believe that is what caused a split. Um, I'm unaware of any particular segregation at that time, but for sure there was a lodge that wanted to incorporate as, as a black lodge and it was not allowed. And so they formed their own uh, order Knights of Pythias of Europe, North America, South America, Africa, and Asia. So it's, got, it's Knights of Pythias with a whole bunch of letters after it in newspapers and things. And they were quite prolific uh, throughout the country. Kansas had uh, over a, do a dozen lodges that I've personally researched and discovered. And I'm sure it was no less all throughout the rest of the country. So I know, yeah, go ahead. I know Missouri had at least uh, three in the mid-Missouri area. Mm -hmm. And and probably more like uh, Kansas City, St. Louis, all throughout. I'm sure there were yeah. there were dozens in Missouri. Regardless, um, that was never truly resolved to my knowledge. I might be wrong here. The worst part of this is that there is so much that just has not been adequately recorded, and there's a lot that's been forgotten. And so something that Casey and I, the new generation of Pythians coming in, we're trying to stop that. Uh, degradation of history in its tracks and start getting things written down, start getting it recorded and remembered again. Um, I can tell you that as recently as, oh, I believe it was July, um, it was discovered that there was an active uh, African-American Knights of Pythias, so the one with all the letters after it, uh, lodge meeting in the Kansas City area. No other details are known except that they were meeting. If anyone out there has any details on that, get somebody to tell us, you know, how we can get in contact with them because unification is absolutely on our agenda. We absolutely would love to repair that hole. That's really cool. And it's, it, it's just the way you guys talk about it is uh, intriguing and, and actually motivating. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, and it'd probably be too big of a, a, a wormhole for me to start describing how it's similar on our side and different in other ways, but very interesting nonetheless. Uh, uh, I, I, from one hot button issue to another, right, we've been hitting a lot of these. Uh, one that comes up with historical light because of our uh, rather creatively designed logo from Alex uh, when he first got the project going includes, right, I mean, the whole, the, the centerpiece is a skull. You guys ever use skulls in Knights of Pythias? Sure did. Used to there do. are skulls in Pythianism. Okay. And uh, just speaking of skulls, my only Masonic ring I can find anymore, actually, is one by Brother Hearn with a skull in it. Very nice. What about goats? I was just arguing with some guys on the internet a little bit, of, uh, a little bit ago about that. Uh, you guys have goats in uh, Pythias at all? Well, we Dylan all me not to mention goats. We all yes, I did. All right. Uh, we all know that at this point, Patrick's Ma Patrick Mahomes is the only goat in Kansas and Missouri. Well, but he's mostly Missouri. Well, by the by the way, by the way, Mahomes is a Texan. He, we just loaned him to you for the Chiefs. And also, for that matter, the Chiefs are Texans, and we just loaned the entire team for to you. So. 
Touche. We did better with them. <laughs> Actually, the last game played by the Dallas Texans before they became the Kansas City Chiefs was the winning of an AFL championship in 1963. So they were winning before they got there. Yeah, I, I'm not a sports guy whatsoever. I jumped on the wagon with the Super Bowl just because, like, it's a hometown team, right? You have to. And I enjoyed the game. But, yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Mahomes is an awesome dude. You, you guys really, uh, I mean, young, versatile. He can do all kinds of stuff. It, it's going to be really cool to see what the Chiefs do over the next five to ten years minimum. All right. Uh, sorry to sidetrack us, though. But you got, Alex? As far as I know, there are no goats in Pythianism. They do get referenced a lot if you look in old newspaper clippings whenever there's a mention of uh, a slew of new uh, knights being, you know, inducted. There will be some tongue-in-cheek reference to the Pythian goat being ridden on the rocky road to chivalry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Off the board with any fraternal society. Uh, you know, back in that time when it started hitting off, like, everybody was using the term everywhere. And I think that's where a lot of guys uh, want to argue with me uh, as of what was happening a little bit earlier ago today is just because we find historical references like that, that's not the same as a historical reference to ritualistic use. And that, that's, that's, you know, my argument is show me evidence of ritualistic use, true, like, allowed ritualistic use within masonry and we'll talk but you know so far nobody's been able to do that so which in another episode of historical light we've established that the goat was uh, a widespread and effective joke that actually began as a, a, a uh, kind of a nefarious practice for the yeah anti-masonic accusation uh and and then masons took ownership of it as a as a joke uh, and it proliferated and from the sounds of what you described that's I, I think the phrase sounds interesting on the rocky road to chivalry yeah uh, that that's a that's a clever almost poetic pythian twist on it uh, but it mm -hmm. sounds like a similar thing they were they, they were making jokes about it regarding uh initiation events more so than probably actually using anything yeah right well you know what kind of like sparked my mind there to ask that question is just the commonality of use between these different societies and their lodge buildings back in the day. I mean, like I said, I, I believe Wellsville that merged with us at one point in the history, I want to say that they were in a uh, Pythian's uh, lodge space. But, you know, that that's, from my research, that's where the goat got intertwined with masonry is because of that use being in the same building. I mean, I had a guy contact me saying, well, we've had one in our lodge before anyone's ever known. But, you know, it was also an Oddfellows Hall. So, yeah, I was kind of wondering with the connections there of fraternal uses between different, uh, different groups in the same buildings, and, you know, how we see that intertwined. But what kind of, uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robert. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't know why I have so many questions tonight. This is more interesting to me than I even realized it would be. That's a good uh, problem. <laughs> uh, I'd be curious. So in, in Freemasonry, a lot of lodges have names that refer to uh, Jerusalem or uh, the location of our original initiatic uh, uh, legends and uh, I'm wondering if the name Sicilian Lodge that's or is it's a reference to Italy as well yeah which is where the Pythian legend or story would have uh, originated right 
yeah. It, okay. uh, equally confusing for me was there's a Syracuse, Missouri, about <laughs> 10 minutes away from where we live, but there's a Syracuse Lodge down in South Missouri for oh. the Knights of Columbus. And that's a reference to ancient Syracuse. Yeah. Okay. Which is part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, I, I feel bad continuing to link it to Freemasonry. Dylan, are you a member of any other uh, organizations, secret societies, whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, that's not Pythias? Not that I tell you about, no. Okay, no, that's cool. Uh, that <laughs> I, I said that tongue-in-cheek, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not a member of any other fraternal orders or fraternities uh, or uh, anything like that. Your original answer was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't want to, I felt bad at that point. <laughs> I like it. Wait for one sec, you guys just go ahead and continue. I'll be right back. Uh, well then, uh, Casey, since you, you can compare the two, and Dylan, you might be able to as well. I, I, I don't know how, how much or, or how little you know about Freemasonry. Something a lot of our listeners are going to want to hear, I think, is uh, what does Pythias offer to a man, uh, whether it be initiatic or organizationally or charity-wise or, or, or philosophically or, or however you'd want to uh, describe it, that Freemasonry just doesn't? So I'll start charity-wise because that's the easiest one to talk about. Sure. Um, we directly have a charity working with, I say directly, the primary charity of the order is the American Cancer Society. Oh, okay. Um, I believe we work directly with them, to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. I know that we have the uh, is Grand Lodge level and every subordinate lodge has an American Cancer Society committee. Um, we also work very, uh, have a committee working directly with the Boy Scouts of America. Um, and there's actually, uh, I know a brother in New York who's worked on the Scouter Award for the Masons. There is a Eagle Scout Recognition Award with the Pythians. Um, ceremonious, ceremoniously, I think that Pythianism, it offers... Uh, feel free, feel free to criticize Freemasonry. We're we're a we are a criticism friendly podcast. I'm trying to think of how to word it better. It, it offers a deeper understanding of friendship, I think, than Freemasonry mm. does. Um, Freemasonry, I feel, the initiatic journey is really about a focus on self, whereas Pythianism, the initiatic journey, is a focus on and a understanding of self but also of a sacrifice, not just to the order itself, it, just the order as this idea and these secrets, but to a direct sacrifice to your friends that you would much rather see yourself be put in pain and be killed than to watch harm come to a fellow Pythian. I think that's a really cool answer. Uh, you know, you, we've got the generic motto on Freemasonry, making good men better. And so I'll throw out there, Pythians then might be an organization focused on making good friends better or good friendships better. 
which I can absolutely imagine a way in which maybe most Freemasons I know could really benefit from the presence of a, whether it be another fraternity or, or, or that kind of focus that is really, really, okay, cool. Um, and there, you know, uh, one of my favorite remembrances, one of my favorite things in both is the closing charge. I know here in Missouri, it's not secret for masonry. Don't know about in Texas um, it's, or it's, in Kansas for that matter. Yeah, it's, a, it's open in Texas. Um, but we both have a very similar closing charge. And it just hits me that hearing that at least three times a month now with meetings, each time uh, delivering it in both of them, it hits me for a different reason in each fraternity. Uh, like I mentioned, Freemasonry being focused on self-improvement, whereas Pythianism has the friendship focus. Um, it also has a reminder every time that you can best serve the order by taking care of those at your house, uh, taking care of those who have a claim upon you due to ties of family. That's, 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 we're, we're really getting to the meat of all this now. Uh, Dylan, uh, with, this, with, with this theme in mind, would you say that prior to becoming a Pythias, did you have a sense of uh, oh, disappointment or a lack of fulfillment regarding the quality of friendships or the average quality of friendships you had with, uh, with fellow men uh, outside of the organization? That is a very good question. Um, I think the best answer to that would be the general answer of um, well, I can make it personal and tell you, I didn't know what I was missing out on. I would have, like, if you were to ask me, are you generally disappointed or generally satisfied with um, how society views friendships and how that affects your life? I would have said probably just on the side of, just over onto the side of disappointed. Um, I've, I've got a lot of uh, really... Uh, I have a good network of really good friends who I'm very close to, regardless of Pythianism. And of course, the same is true of family, et cetera. But I absolutely did derive a great deal of benefit from seeing how the Knights of Pythias structure friendship and even just saying that doesn't do the concept justice. The, the obligations of friendship are not something you learn in high school, if that makes sense. You can go through life with various perspectives on who people are, how they act. You can come away cynical, you can come away optimistic. I think with the Knights of Pythias, they give you a really good, uh, solid, ecumenical grounding on what friendship means and what your obligations are as a friend and yeah. what you should expect from other friends. And to recognize that not everybody's gonna see it this way. Not everybody's going to be that kind of a friend to you and how to deal with that. 
in sort of a way. Um, I think the Knights of Pythias could uh, really stand a good chance of coming back uh, and seeing at least close to golden age levels of uh, participation in a social media age because we've got the social media but then we also have the original social network of fraternalism. You've got the Masons, Oddfellows, and Pythians. Right. And I think that social networking concept, it, it had its heyday, fell out of disfavor, fell out of use more or less, was replaced by a variety of things for a variety of reasons. And then we've, I think we're about to come full circle. I think it, it's turning back towards where do you see yourself in society? How do you relate to society? What is it that, you know, it's, it's not giving me tasks to perform in society. It's not uh, telling me what to do. It's telling me how to do and how to expect other people to act, how you should expect to act towards them, that sort of a thing. And it provides a really good grounding for, I think especially uh, younger men, I think that would be um, an accurate way to put it uh how to grow up in a way and i i'm excited to see it grow again because i'm excited to see uh the sort of social participation we saw you know 1870s through 1920s you know during the heyday during the golden age of all of that uh right. seeing that come back that's an exciting thing i mean that's that's historical you know yeah, uh, I'm excited too, and we are starting to see, it sounds like, I, I was talking with some friends here at the Lodge earlier today, the whole ebb and flow concept and how it seems to be that uh, unnoticed by many, we're starting to see the beginning of a flow uh, in, in the history of Freemasonry that that's very much could be described the way you're describing the beginning of one in, in Pythianism and the potential for one in, in Pythianism. And uh, it occurs to me uh, that uh, the, last I, the last I knew that uh, the number eight leading cause of death in America among men is suicide. And uh, here yeah. you have an organization based primarily on the importance of and the uh, teaching of how to develop real friendships with other men. Uh, which, uh, without a doubt, is something American men today lack. They're lonely. They don't have real friends. Uh, most American men make friends at work uh, that are relatively superficial, and at the point of retirement or changing work, they drop those friendships, which tells you how meaningful those often were or not. Uh, and uh, it, obviously Pythias could really step into that leading that it's a crisis in America today and Pythianism could help heal that. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I, you know, I, I think that goes with so many of these old fraternal societies that we see. Uh, in today's day and age, the modern person is kind of disconnected from all that. We, we, the modern, the modern person is not a joiner anymore. You know, they're, they're loners, they like to sit at home, but at the same time, everyone feels unconnected and everyone seeks that connection. And it's just a matter of time. I mean, 
orders like these can really benefit you in so many different ways beyond that, you know, that face value benefit. The fact of learning what a true friend is, a cherish and how to uh, kindle those relationships, uh, you know, like Robert pointed on, so many people today, oh, I have friends. And yeah, most of them are, even if they're not from work, would just be classified as work friends. But how many true relationships of that level do you have in your life? And, you know, it's kind of at a sad point, but I would, I would love to see, you know, Pythias get back to that point and be able to benefit society in that nature, just as, you know, we think that uh, masonry is able to do the same thing. And we'd like to see it grow and cherish as well. Um, where do you guys see it going within the next decade? Do you, do you think you're at the point um, that you're about to see a big fire or is this gonna be something over a prolonged growth? I'd, I'd like to see a little bit of both. I think right now in Kansas, uh, we're seeing with Dylan's help and with the, I think partly, sorry, trying to organize my thoughts. I think partly with Kansas and Missouri, um, because we've gotten to such a small set of what we are, we have three lodges left in Missouri. Right. And uh, none in Kansas, as was mentioned before. I think we're seeing a little bit of that fire because now we've got younger members coming in. Uh, myself, Dylan, uh, he mentioned our mutual friend Jordan before, and some others who are wanting to be able to reignite that fire. They're wanting to see lodges come up nearer to them and they're wanting to see it grow because, you know, for so long, there's just been this state of decline. And when within that state, you just get, you know, you get people joining, but there's still older members who Yes, they love the order, but they only have a limited amount of time to try and help it grow. Right. And, you know, especially if they're a part of the group of older members who are joiners, they're also trying to help their lodge grow in masonry and their Holy Royal Large chapter grow and all of that. So the time that they can devote to this fraternity is even more limited. I think with the seeing younger members come in, it's going to start a little bit of a fire that hopefully can just be stoked over the years. And I'm hoping in 10 years that we see a Grand Lodge of Kansas come back with maybe four or five lodges and four or five lodges here in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, on that note, I'm really uninterested in uh, a short-term uh, lodge. I'm, I'm not interested in anything short-term, and I don't think it is going to be anything short-term. Uh, I think we've pretty well touched on, the, for instance, the Emporia area. Uh, we will be reinstituting a Lodge of Pythias here. We used to have, back in the day, we had two lodges, Damascus Lodge and Emporia Lodge, both located in Emporia. Uh, that's, I, I see in the short amount of time that we've been uh, actively looking to, you know, restart things, doing the initial groundwork, the research and all of that, talking to people, seeing, you know, what, what they're interested in doing. 
I, I think to speak in terms of uh, temporary or, you know, anything that's not going to last us as long as it was supposed to have lasted in the first place. I think the reason we saw a decline was just purely situational within a generation or two, just life changed so much and we didn't know how to change with it. And so bringing back the order is something that I think is going to be permanent. And that's what our goals are. We're looking for a permanent reestablishment of fraternalism. And in this case, that means the Knights of Pythias. I think one of my uh, favorite things, uh, I would claim, say it's not a secret. It, it come, you've given the, we've given the explanation of Damon and Pythias and everything. And then there's a reminder that these heroes still live on and will forever live so long as friendship warms the heart of man. That's beautiful. For sure. Um, and like you said, I agree. I don't think Pythianism or Masonry are going anywhere because both have, both have immortal ideas, things that, you know, can't, as long as people are around, as long as two people are friends and have a deep understanding of friend, their own friendship, Pythianism, even if only in its ideas, will live on. And I think that's one of the reasons why we tether ourselves to at least a small degree to Pythagoras. It's it's the ideas that, yes, Damon and Pythias themselves, you know, being members of the Pythagorean order uh, adhered to, but that Pythagorean order itself might be gone in name, but at the same time, here we are still talking about it, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the principles of friendship, um, friendship, ch charity, and benevolence, those things aren't going to go away, uh, even if they die out a bit, even if it dwindles in a generation or two. Uh, you know, here we are talking about it still. The order itself was founded in 1864. Well, it's 2020, and and we're still we're we're starting a new lodge. So yeah, it's it's sticking around. It's it is eternal in itself. Yeah, totally. You know, and it, it's one of those things. Is it's not even just those those key points, but but just the act of the community around it as well. You know, like I said, I I have I have concerns around what the face of masonry will be uh, in the coming. But as I, I've said before, every Grand Lodge could crash. Uh, there could be no charters. You're still going to have guys meeting. You know what I mean? Like masonry is in the hearts, and it's always going to be. Uh, when we, when we saw the worst part of uh, yeah, masonry's, I don't know if I'd call it the worst part, but as far as modern wise in masonry, we saw so many grand lodges going under, right? You know, after uh, the Morgan affair and all that, when, when public was just on Freemasonry. I mean, literally grand lodges were crippling. Masons weren't disappearing. They were going behind doors. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's so much of a bad thing. Um, but the key behind it is it's always going to be there. It's, it's a practice that is near and dear to people. Uh, my hope is, 
that modern society can really actually click into it and see uh, the underlying beauty and importance of it and uh, really open themselves to it because you know whether it's whether it's Knights of Pythias, whether it's uh, Freemasonry, whether it's Odd Fellows. I think anyone involved in organizations such as these uh, can tell you from the day that they joined to the day, the current day, you know, the difference in their life that it's made, and that's not by accident. You know, it's by design. Uh, and if people would actually you know open themselves and adhere to it, they would reap that benefit and see it. So, you know, that that's my two cents. With that, we've been on it for a while now. My phone is about to die, unfortunately. So I wanted to send it around, final thoughts. Um, let's see, Dylan, I got you on my left this time. It switched up on us. Uh, send it over to you for some final thoughts. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm sorry for the technical difficulties we had and I'm very sorry for overdressing. I had no idea, um, but anyway, for sure, what I would like to leave as a final thought is just a fact about the Knights of Pythias. It is a chivalric order. Um, you mentioned before the the concept within Masonry of, uh, you know, we're not a charity, we're a charitable or, uh, organization or a charitable order. Um, we are not a charity ourselves. We are a chivalric order. and. You know, you, yeah, you can have a club where everyone, you know, dresses up as knights and, you know, oh, we, we, we think we're knights. It's not like that for us. To every member of the order and to every uh, person that is personally touched by what we do as an organization, yes, we are knights. We are a chivalric order. Those principles live on, uh, chivalric principles. There's a, a book out by uh, Jason Bright, who I was initiated with, uh, and he wrote a book, the name of it escapes me, I'm sorry, but uh, basically explaining how chivalry can uh, come back into the modern day, how it has a home in everyday life uh, in our modern society. It's not dead and it just, it just lives on. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really, really appreciate it. And to your comment on being overdressed, you're not. We appreciate it. You're dapper, dude. You look great. You know, actually, if you go back to the original episodes of Historical Light, I was in a suit every episode. I was just, I was commonly about the only one in a suit, so whatever. But a suit and a tie is always welcome. Right in line, brother. We thank really appreciate it. All right, uh, Casey, I'm going to send it over to you for some final thoughts. All right, uh, real quick on the book that he had referenced, it's called Knightly Virtue, uh, Living Chivalric Life in the Modern Day. Um, but I uh, also thank you for having me on. I think that it is great to see uh, Pythianism grow and Masonry grow a little bit, if nothing else. I also think one thing that uh, often happens, uh, I know when we were talking leading up to this, we had mentioned the uh, confusion that happens around, you know, sometimes people take masonry, oddfellows, whatever, they take them, uh, or Pythianism, oddfellows, they take them to kind of to be a, a subset of masonry, both on the outside and some of the members of masonry. And I think 
Um, while it's understandable why that happens, one of the sad things that it loses when that happens is a lot of members and even a lot of non-members don't see the benefit that they could be getting from if they were in the order or if they, you know, kind of understood the ideas of the orders. And I really do think that that's a bad, a bad thing to lose out on. I think being a Pythian has definitely made me a better Mason because uh, it's given me a understanding of more rit of ritual from another group and made me want to work more on ritual as a whole, but also on understanding the lessons that come from each of them. Uh, again, thank you for having me on, and I. that's all I got. Yeah, same to you, uh, Brother Case. We truly appreciate you guys taking the time out of uh, your schedules to come on and share your knowledge with us. Um, you know, I think me and Robert both went in this, you know, kind of largely blind to a degree. So it's been fantastic uh, learning this from the ground up. Uh, Brother Robert, I'm going to send it over to you. Uh, well, yeah, I'll reiterate that. Thanks for joining us this evening. I've, I've learned a lot. I was excited to do this and got more and more excited as the episode went on. Uh, I'd like to circle back to Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, as well as do my obligatory reference to Waco Masonic Lodge. And I will do that by uh, saying that Pat Morris Neff, the governor of Texas at one time, who was a Waco Masonic Lodge Mason, uh, Grand Masonic Master, or Masonic Grand Master of Texas, and was a Grand Chancellor of Knights uh, ah. of Pythias of Texas. Uh, so we've got a governor, uh, Masonic Grand Master, uh, Pythian Grand Chancellor, uh, who also uh, created Texas Tech. So uh, once again, you're welcome. Uh, it was our <laughs> Uh, uh, joy to provide you with Patrick Mahomes uh, from down here and uh, I hope he brings you many more championships and thanks 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 for all you've shared about Pythianism here I, I've, I've really really enjoyed this yeah I agree you know I got to double back on, on a lot of that uh, the same points as I've said uh, you know, to, to what Casey touched on about uh, so many people looking at all these different orders, these uh, fraternal orders as kind of being uh, a carbon copy of masonry in some which way, you've really got to, I mean, look back historically, because I, I hear it so much these days that, yeah, yeah, but, but we were the original, you know, they copied us. If you look back, as, as Robert just touched on, how many guys in our lodges were masons and like dedicated masons but we're also charter members of the odd fellows we're also you know officer line members and pythias and so many of these other orders it wasn't because they thought it was the same you know and if there's anything there yes there was there's orders that formed after freemasonry and some of them kind of took the same uh groundwork look but that's because you find something that works and you go with it but beyond that, there's something there. And these guys found something that added an additional level um, to their lives, to their experience past masonry, right? 
know, masonry is not the end all be all. Uh, as we talked, uh, you know, throughout this episode, how, how so many of these messages behind these orders can be life changing and life enhancing, you know, that that's not just Freemasonry. Uh, you, you can achieve that in so many. And, you know, from the episode we did on Oddfellows to this, I'm intrigued, man. I am all the way around. Uh, I've got our new guy, Scott, you know, drilling Oddfellows down my head and uh, trying to, you know, start a new lodge. And I'm really, really intrigued and, and actually, you know, finding out more on a firsthand basis on that. And hearing that we've got this, this spark, this, uh, this Kindle coming back to a full spark uh, right next to me. Uh, with Knights of Pythias is, is really, really intriguing to me. Uh, you know, Emporia is not that far away, and I would totally hop in the car for that. So I'm definitely going to be chatting with you guys because I, I, I do want to learn more firsthand. Um, you know, I, I think there's so much to benefit from these, these orders. I really, truly appreciate learning uh, everything that I did tonight because uh, I, I came in this largely blind. Like I said, you know, a couple times, the only real connection, I knew kind of the basis of what they were, and I'm pretty sure Wellsville um, was meeting in one of their spaces at one time. Besides that, I was, I was drawing a blank. This has been fantastic. So uh, to both of you, Dylan and Casey, thanks so much for coming on Historical Light and uh, sharing that wealth of knowledge um, with us and the viewers, man. So uh, sincerely, thank you to you guys. I want to give you an opportunity at the end. You know, you said we're trying to get that spark going, trying to get it growing. How can someone watching this get involved um, with Knights of Pythias in their area or find out more on a personal level? Uh, the very best way to do that is to go to facebook.com slash Midwest Pythians um, or just type into the Facebook search bar uh, Knights of Pythias, Missouri, and Kansas. We do have a Facebook page going up. We're, we're kickstarting all these recruitment efforts. I know that's a, another minor difference with the Masons. You don't really recruit, uh, you know, ask one to be one. Uh, with, with the Knights of Pythias, yeah, we'll, we'll go out there and we're looking for good men of strong moral character who want to, um, you know, really uh, show these, these principles and develop them. So yeah, go to facebook.com slash Midwest Pythians, search out Knights of Pythias of Kansas and Missouri, and we'll, we'll be in touch with you. Just message the page. Uh, we're not that hard to track down, honestly. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you to all you guys. We'll get those links in the comments below. Uh, encourage you to check it out, look further. Um, until next time, everybody go check out the group on Facebook. It's the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook. If you're not a member there, click join, get in on it. We've got great conversation going there all the time uh, that you should be a part of. So we'll get this posted. We'll get the links in there. We hope you check it all out. Until next time, keep bringing history back to life. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. <laughs>